Lord Jesus, we position ourselves in this moment, having been visited by your Holy Spirit, having sensed your presence. We position ourselves in this moment to hear, hear you through your word and that you would speak to each one of us. Our eyes would be opened, our ears would be clear, and we would know that we've been visited by the Most High God. Now, I pray that you would let your word come alive to us. Let every one of us, not only in this building, but all of those watching over the Internet, that each one of us could say that we've heard something from God today that would change our lives. I pray in the name of Jesus, everybody said. Amen. Last Sunday, we talked about, the title was, Are You Somebody? And we talked about, by the way, uh, we got dinged by YouTube last Sunday. We, we, paid, we played about 50 seconds of the Danny Thomas show, the pilot for the Andy Griffith show. And for a little while, the video was gone. It was down. Until we edited out those that clip. So if you looked for it and it wasn't there, you wasn't imagining things. But if you go now, the video's gone and you can watch it. Are you somebody? We talked about identity and I cannot, I'll refer to that today, but I cannot go back and redo that. I would highly recommend going either to the video or the audio version of last week and listening or watching. Today I'm talking about having a firm and secure heart. We'll read a verse or some passages in a moment. <clears throat> the danger of the kind of message that we're talking about today is that sometimes it makes me feel like I'm a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I'm neither. I'm, I'm psycho sometimes, but <laughs> that doesn't qualify. Um, this is a horrible story, you should, and I shouldn't even read it in church, but here we go. <laughs> and my wife minored in psychology. She's always using her amateur psychology when we argue. And he said, when I fired the pool boy, she said, well, you know, you're only firing him because he's so young and good looking, like my wife's pool boy, and you feel threatened. <laughs> Maybe I ought to explain. I, I'm her pool boy. <laughs> uh, he said, "Well, you know, you're only firing him because he's so young and good looking, and and you and you feel threatened and insecure, because it reminds you of your own mortality, and you're projecting all of these insecurities onto someone else in a very passive, aggressive way, because these feelings are just tr too traumatic for you to deal with." I said, honey, we don't have a pool. <laughs> like I said. This guy said, my wife left me because I am too insecure. Oh, never mind. She just went to get the mail. <laughs> and that's insecure. This would make you insecure. One evening, a nervous soprano struggled hopelessly before... President Calvin Coolidge at a White House recital. What did you think of the singer's execution? One of the guests asked Coolidge. I'm all for it, he said. 
Calvin Coolidge. That's calvincoolidge at gmail.com. If you got any complaints about that. Last week we talked about, as I said, identity, and these are the, some of the points that we arrived at. One is identity comes from fatherhood. And second thing we talked about last week is what God says, and I got political, but you're just going to have to bear with me. What God says about us trumps what anyone else thinks or says about us. The third thing we concluded was a firm identity allows us to become vulnerable in servanthood. You get yourself out of the way when you know who you are. And then affirmation is the key to establishing true identity in Christ. Today we'll deal a little more with security or being secure. Security is born out of knowing who we are. You're not going to be as secure, and I'll probably repeat this several times, but you're not going to be a secure individual in Christ unless you know who you are in Christ. And knowing who we are is born out of knowing to whom we belong. The problem is that being insecure... Being shakable causes us to make decisions that will cost us. It causes us, and we'll read about some folks after a while that did that. Or as the author Robert Black said, insecure people seek answers in all the wrong places. Seek answers, seek affirmation in all the wrong places. So if you have a Bible and you would turn to Psalm 112, if you have a phone or a tablet or a really good memory, turn to Psalm. There are people who have photographic memories. I don't even have a photograph. I don't even have a camera. Most people don't. Anyway, Psalm 112, and if you would stand while we read the Scripture, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And it says this, praise the Lord. Well, we could stop right there. Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Now, let me just stop right there. Almost everything we're going to say today hinges on that statement. Greatly delights in his commandments. Not likes his rules and regulations. See, okay, I don't want to get, I don't want to get into that. But greatly delights in what God says. Is some In some ways, the Hebrew there means to be completely ensnared by, captured by what God says. So just keep that in mind as we go through today. Verse 2, his, we won't do this in every verse, by the way, so don't worry about it. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. His righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness. Don't you want the, Don't you like light being in the darkness? For the upright, he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously in lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will, this is where the meat of what we're going to hit today. The righteous will never be moved. Everybody say, never be moved. Never. He will be remembered forever. Verse 7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is steady, he will not be afraid until he, and of course this is he or she, 
looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn or his strength is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. You can be seated. Let the Holy Spirit minister the word to us today. Being secure in the Lord, and I've said this already, but I'll say it again. Being secure in the Lord comes out of our settled identity. I wish there was a way to to meld these two messages together, but I can't do it. You just have to go back and listen last week. It comes out of our settled identity. Now, to be secure, as we're talking about today, means to be to to have freedom from care. Now, that doesn't mean that you say, well, I don't care about anything. That's not what I'm talking about. Freedom from care, uh, and I'm reminded Peter's words echo from 1 Peter 5, echoes when it says, casting all of your care or anxieties upon him. It also means freedom from fear and doubt. We'll deal with that a little more later on, but it's the things that would shake us, the things that would concern us, the things that would consume us in the face of difficulty. That's we're free. We're freedom from free from that because of who we belong to and who we are in him. The secure person has embraced the covenant promises of a covenant God. And and we're confident that God will ensure our stability. He says right here in this psalm, he will not be moved. His heart will be steady. We embrace covenant promises because we trust God. I'll come back to that too. But we trust God because of who he is and what he does. And you can trust what God says. He, You can literally, well, not the one Diane works at, but you can take it to the bank. That what God says is final. David, speaking in the third person, says this about himself. For the king trusts in the Lord. Through the faithful love of the Most High, he is not shaken. David had plenty of reasons to be shaken. He had plenty of reasons to be concerned. And yet, in all of the issues, if you read the Psalms, I was telling, I was meeting with some pastors this week with everyone's Wilson, and uh, they asked me what I've been preaching on, of course, the Psalms. And I said, the problem with the Psalms is you can be going along, bumping along in the Psalms, and, and you, you see David, man, he's like, okay, God, I got a tough day, and I, you know, these people are giving me trouble. I just wish you'd kill them. Just take them out, Lord. And, you know, David, he had some difficulties. He had people on him all the time. Well, anyway. But he said, through the faithful love of the Most High, I will not be shaken. Verse 8 in the English Standard Version says, his heart is steady. In the Tree of Life Version and a few other versions, the word there is secure. His heart is secure. Literally, the Hebrew word there means to be held up by the strength of the Lord. In some ways, it means to be propped up. 
It's like God says to you and he says to me, if you will delight in me and delight in my commandments and you will walk with me, you will find a strength that will prop you up and not let you fall. You will be secure in me and who you are. Well, we have to talk about the weight of insecurity and what it does to us. And, of course, uh, we begin in the beginning, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, in their pre-sin state, pre-sinful state, they were not concerned with their image. They were not concerned with their reputation or their importance to God. They never once spent one second Worrying that God cared about them. They never spent one minute worrying that they looked good in the mirror. And I, you know, even though they had no mirror, if they would have had one, they did have a mirror. They had water. They didn't worry about what they looked like. They didn't worry about their reputation. Of course, there was only two of them at that time. Adam looked at Eve and said, boy, your reputation precedes you. Anyway, and vice versa. But upon the committing the act of, of disobedience, upon partaking of that fruit, as God had instructed them not to, the seed of insecurity was born. All of a sudden, they've changed. They suddenly became aware of themselves. They became aware of them. Before this, they had, they really had no self-awareness. Now they knew they were existed, but they weren't consumed with themselves at all. Who were they consumed with? God the Father. It said they, the Bible tells us they walked with Him every day in the cool of the day, in the garden, fellowship with God. Imagine, you know, walking down the lane with God. But when they chose disobedience, immediately, they changed and they became aware of themselves. And it's kind of like my, one of my favorite far sides that the cows are out in the pasture and one of them stands up on his two legs and says, Hey guys, this is grass. We've been eating grass this whole time. They had an awareness. Well, they had an awareness. They had no clothes on until then. It didn't matter because why they weren't consumed with themselves at all. When we're feeling insecure, we tend to hide ourselves, and that's what they did. They went and hid themselves. Sometimes you can hide in a crowd. You know that? I know people that hide in a crowd, and i got to confess that sometimes I do that. When we forget who we, are and who we are in Christ, we will certainly struggle with feelings of insecurity. you got to know who you are. And, and I'll get back to this. You say, if you keep repeating everything you're going to repeat, then you're going to repeat it again. We'll be here till the cows come home. Well, they're eating grass, I can tell you. <laughs> you will have feelings of insecurity. When we belong to Christ, and those of us who've been born from above, by the Spirit of God, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, we've been talking about all day long, we belong to Christ. Everybody say, I belong to Christ. You see, I mean, you whether you feel like it or not, you belong to Christ. And have taken on his robe of righteousness. You say, well, I don't feel righteous. That doesn't matter. 
Because he who knew no sin, that's Jesus. The Bible tells us he, he became sin. He didn't just, he took our sin, but he didn't just take our sin. He literally became sin as he hung on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become, brace yourselves, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You say, how can that happen? Because Jesus took our place. And when Jesus, when God looks at the record in the, in the book of life, of your life, he sees this word that says paid in full. Your debt's been paid in full. You didn't pay it. You couldn't pay it, but Jesus paid it. And so that makes you the, the righteousness of God in Christ. I can't get stuck there. There's no reason for us then to hang our heads or try to hide from God's presence. And I want to tell you that a lot of Christians spend a lot of their days hiding from God, knowing good and well we can't. We're hoping God didn't see that. We're hoping God didn't hear that. And of course, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, he does. There's an added bonus here that when we're able to rest in who we are and a freedom from care, then we can give our focus to the matters of the kingdom of God without being burdened and distracted by other things. If you're, if you're um, consumed with insecurity and you're you're wavering in your identity. You really can't apply yourself to the work of the kingdom very well because you got other things in the way. But when you can be settled in your identity and know who you are and secure in who you are, then you can say you can apply yourself. You can work in God's kingdom. There's some examples of insecurity in the Bible. I can't even come close to touching all of them. Not even going to try. Uh, but I want to give you just, I think, three I can count. The first one is Abraham, the father, father Abraham, from whom the covenant comes. Galatians says, if you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. Abraham is about, is there's a famine in the land and he's going into Egypt and he tells his wife, Sarah, he says, Hey, let's tell them you're my sister. Because if I, if I t- tell them that you're my wife, they'll kill me so they can have you. And Sarah says, okay. Hebrews, I mean, 1 Peter 3 tells us Sarah obeyed. And they tell the, the people in Egypt, Pharaoh, that she, she's his sister. So Pharaoh says, well, if she's your sister, then I'm going to take her as my wife. And then Pharaoh realizes Something's up. And it goes back to Abraham. So are you trying to get me killed? You told me she was your sister. She's your wife. Why did Abraham do that? Because he was insecure. He was worried about what was going to happen. He had forgotten who he, who God was. By the way, all three, well, two of these examples give us hope because pretty much, and I, I shouldn't even use the word pretty much. Just about every, well, I shouldn't even use the word just about. Everybody 
Everybody say everybody. Everybody Everybody say that's me. Every one of us in some measure deal with insecurities. There's not a person living in a body of flesh that doesn't deal in some manner with some measure of insecurity. Now, some are eat up with it and some are able to deal with it. And these, I mean, this, again, this is the father of the faith. Tell them you're my sister. And then in, that's in Genesis 12, by the way, for you note takers. Genesis 20, he does it again. He's going to see Abimelech and he tells Abimelech, she's my sister. And we read that she's told him the same thing. He's my brother. And Abim, the Lord appears to Abimelech in a dream. So what are you touching his wife for? What? Wife what? That's just, oh no. So he does the same, goes back to Abraham. You trying to get me killed? That's, that's your wife. Why, why did you do that? Because he's insecure. Now I hate to point this out. It was self-preservation. It was personal preservation. Because he wasn't so much worried what they were going to do to Sarah. He just didn't want to get killed. Mm. By the way, he told Abimelech, of course, she really is my sister. And she was. They had the same daddy and a different mama. She was his half-sister. How many of you understand that a half-truth sometimes is still a lie? When deception is intended. And he was using deception and lies to preserve himself instead of being secure in who God was. Well, then we got Moses. God says, Moses, go rescue my people. Go speak to my people. And Moses said, they're not going to listen to me. Every, not every, but a lot of pastors who stand behind something like this, whenever, usually have some thought like this. They don't listen to me. As a matter of fact, God told Ezekiel, he said, they're not going to listen to you. You could talk all you want to. And I want you to say this, but they're not going to hear you. Some weeks ago, I'm not even going to go into the details. Some weeks ago, I delivered a message here on one of the Psalms. Don't remember which one. And right this second, don't even remember the message. But there was a group of people near here who got in touch with me and said, hey, man, that thing moved us. That thing just eat us up. And so they started a house church revival that's still going on. And I said to that person, well, I'm grateful when people respond to the word of God. Moses said, not going to listen to me. God said, well, that's okay. I'm with you. And then Moses said, well, that didn't work. Let me try something else. And this is what he said. Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I can't talk good. I can't, I can't talk well. And God said, who made your mouth? Who has made man's mouth? And Moses wouldn't have it, and God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Your brother Aaron's going to be your mouthpiece. He's going to talk for you. Why was that? Moses was insecure. And, of course, then Herod, King Herod, hears about this new king that's been born, and he orders that all of the children under the uh, boys under the age of two be killed. 
because he's, he's insecure. And he, I mean, he immediately, when he hears the word king, he immediately goes there. Oh, he's going to try to take my throne. Let's, let's kill all the children, two years old boys, two years old and under, so that I can eliminate that king because I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm shaky. Bible says he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under. This guy is the same guy who had his wife executed because he was nervous that she might have an affair on him. There's no indication that she thought about it, did anything about it. He was just so insecure that he had her executed. It didn't stop there. This is the same guy who had two of his sons executed. Why? Because he was afraid they were going to try to take his throne. Now, that's the epitome of insecurity. If you're not settled in your identity and you don't know who you are and you're not secure in who you are, you're going to do things you wouldn't normally do. Of course, this last one, Saul, King Saul, same first Samuel 10 for turning, but they, they had anointed him king and now they're about to, to institute him, to set him in place as king and they can't find him. They can't find him. They're looking everywhere. And so they inquired of the Lord. What a novel idea, folks. Have you ever lost something and asked God to help you find it? And then you find it. Never mind, God, I found it. No, it doesn't work that way. They inquired of the Lord. We're trying to find this king. And I don't know if the Lord was laughing or he said, um, he's, he's hiding among the baggage. He's hiding. Why was he, why was he hiding? He was completely insecure. The Bible tells us, and I'll read you a verse in a moment. The Bible tells us that he was a head taller than anybody else around there. A head taller. He stood up. And of course, how did he hide in the baggage? I don't know. But he was hiding even though he had been anointed king. And even God had come upon him by the Holy Spirit. And he had prophesied. But when it comes time for him to assume the throne, he's hiding. Like who else? Adam and Eve. Later on, Samuel said to him, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Little in your own eyes. Let me, let me ask you, saints, how many of you are sitting here today little in your own eyes? I want to ask you today to quit seeing yourself through your own eyes. When God looks at you, he does not look, look, see you as little. He sees you as majestic, strong, powerful. He sees you as his child. But when we insist on trusting our own eyes, we see ourselves as little. And even though he was physically head, a head taller than anybody else in his own eyes, he was like a grasshopper. Insecurity. And what this does to us, 
again, we can't even touch all this. But one thing it produces in us is vacillation. Vacillation. And that is, you know, one extreme to the other. You just can't make, you can't, uh, you just go with the flow. You know, uh, I like watching this TV show. Anybody know what it's called? Yeah, the Andy Griffith show. Y'all are doing good. And and there's an episode, well, more than one, but there's at least one episode where the mayor, his little fat mayor, Mayor Pike, and they're trying to make a decision about whether or not they're going to allow a movie to be made in Mayberry. And one of the guys says, we need to do it. And Mayor Pike said, yeah, that's what we need to do. And then somebody else, one of the other councilmen said, well, I don't know. Maybe they're just coming here to make fun of us. Yeah, maybe they're just coming here to make fun of us. No, we don't need to have them come. And somebody else said, yeah, but we need to find out what, you know, if it's really real, if they're really going to come. And Mayor Pike goes, yeah, that's right. Let's let them come. And they go back and forth. Everything somebody says, Mayor Pike said, yeah, let's do that. And somebody over here says, no, let's go. Yeah, let's, let's do, let's don't do that. Why? Because he was insecure. It causes vacillation. It causes anxiety. Remember that anxiety is a mild form of atheism. It causes us to feel rejected. You know, you're not paranoid. Everyone is out to get you. It causes us to feel like we don't belong. Jesus experienced this, by the way. Jesus experienced rejection when he said, Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus was bearing, paying the price for you to be secure in God and not feel rejected. By the way, you're not rejected. As Teresa has reminded us today, it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what, what's behind you in your life, God does not and will not reject you. People say, well, why would a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't do that. We do it ourselves by not choosing him. And then, of course, there's also an unnatural hunger for approval, insecurity. An unnatural, uh, by the way, we all need approval. It's a godly thing to need approval. But sometimes there's an unnatural drive for approval, especially from our fathers. We tend to do things we wouldn't normally do when we seek approval where we, we so desperately desire. There's also the issue of fear. Insecurity produces fear in us. And what kind of fear? Fear of incapability. Moses didn't think he could do it. Fear of others. Not only did Saul hide in the baggage, uh, when he went to battle, he disobeyed Samuel, the prophet, and he took some animals and things And because he was afraid of the people. He was afraid of his own people. There's the fear of making the decision. You, got, you, you folks know what it's like, like where we're going to go eat. I don't know, anywhere you want to go. Well, it doesn't matter to me. 
Well, where do you want to go? I, it doesn't matter to me. Well, let's go down to the spaghetti house. Oh, man, they got terrible food down there. There's a, there's a story in the Bible about stewards and, you know, God, Jesus gives or uses the parable. The master gives, give them five and, and two, three and one. Anyway, the guy he gives the one talent to, and the talent's not a talent like these folks up here have talents, but it's a, it's a monetary talent. And he takes his and hides it because he's afraid. Because of his insecurity, and his fear of failure. He buried his, his talent. He buried what the master had given him because he couldn't make a decision about what to do with it. So he said, the other ones invested theirs and then doubled their investment, but he buried his because he, and then when he, when the guy came, he said, well, I know you're, you expect a return. And so I didn't know what to do. So I just buried it. Now, hear, hear the Holy Spirit when I ask you the question, how many of you have buried what God has given you because you couldn't make a decision what to do with it or you were afraid to exercise it? There are some things that are false securities. Now, let me just say, hasten to say, these are crutches that give us a false sense of security. But let me say this. Every one of these inherently are not bad. Every one of the things I'm going to list are not bad things. They become bad when they become a crutch. And the first one is our abilities. It's good to have abilities. But if your identity is in your abilities, then you don't have an identity. Remember last Sunday I pointed out that when John the Baptist baptized Jesus... Father spoke from heaven. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He did not say this is the Messiah. He did not say this is the Savior. Why? Because the Messiah and the Savior was not who he was. That's what he did. Who he was was the Son of God. Who he is is the Son of God. He is the Messiah and he is the Savior, but that's not his identity. His identity, primarily, first and foremost, was to be the Son of God. Your identity has nothing to do with your abilities. Thank God for abilities. But that's not who you are. Or achievements, what we've achieved. Again, these are good. I like, you know, achievements. Some in education, some in athletics. And when we, especially in a field of athletics, if that's your identity, if that's where you get your security from, what happens when you blow out a knee? There's so many athletes that have a season and a career-ending injury, and that also ends them because their whole life, their whole worth, their whole security, their whole identity was consumed by that, that ability, that achievement athletically. There's also an issue of knowledge, again, Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge is good, but your knowledge is not who you are. Your knowledge is not where you get your security. For some people, a position in society. I want to, I want to, I want to be known. I want to be, anyway. And then the last one, actually this can become a crutch, and that is religious activities. 
we can get so consumed doing religious activities and going here and going there and trying to trying to do good things and we hadn't even talked to God in six months. We're just doing things. And and we think that gives us security. But what happens when whatever you're doing dries up? What happens when there's no opportunity? All of a sudden you feel uh, rejected. You feel, what 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 am I worth? You're worth the same thing you've been all along. You're God's child. What are we going to do? Living securely. Well, we remember that Jesus bore our insecurity on the cross. Every moment that we live in insecurity, we're, we're, we're frustrating and trying to negate what Jesus did. At the moment that he was on the cross, he was bearing all the insecurity, all the rejection for the human race that had been injected at the fall of mankind in the garden. He paid the price for you to live securely in him. How are we going to live securely? Acceptance and approval. Not only do we need people in our own lives who can build us up with acceptance and approval rather than push us down with negativity. Hang with people who will be positive, and I don't mean positive in the sense they lie to you. You know, if your hair's messed up, a person who loves you will tell you that your hair's messed up. Do I have something green in my teeth? Oh, no, I love you too much to tell you that. Oh, that's not what I'm talking about. Acceptance and approval. We all need it. There's a reason God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Approval. We need to receive and give words of edification and encouragement. And we need to, and here's the other part. When people tell you words, give you words of affirmation, and give you words of approval and acceptance, you got to believe what they say. You're God's child. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You're wearing the robe of righteousness that Jesus bore for you. Oh, that's not true. He'd never forgive me. And now you've just frustrated what Jesus did. When somebody tells you, like I'm telling you today, believe it. I'm not asking you to feel it. I'm asking you to believe it. I want you to walk out of here with your head held high. Because of who you are. And because of your secure or your place of security in Christ. When you were born again, Aaron, when you were born again last week or whenever it took place, God took out his pen and he opened up the Lamb's book of life and he wrote in that book, Aaron Mason. Indelible ink. That ink never fades. When God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, he did the same thing. And it doesn't matter if it's been five years or 50 years. Next year I'll be in the ministry 50 years. It doesn't matter. 
That ink has never faded. Who am I in Christ? Well, look at the Lamb's book of life. Your name is there. You're a child of God. You don't have to feel it, but if you'll, if you'll believe it long enough, you'll feel it. Of course, we need identity in God the Father. We need to rest in that identity. God the Father said, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. Here's what I want you to Don't you say with me, I am his, okay? I am his. I didn't say that. God said that. That's God's words. Not, not just the God's words that it's in this Bible, but it's in this Bible and there are quotation marks there. He also said, I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. Indelible ink. He also said, you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. New name. We need a firm conviction rooted in God's character. Because if you don't believe in God's character, none of this matters. If you think God is wishy-washy, if you think God goes back on his word, if you think God is trivial when he said something, then none of this matters. So we have to have a firm conviction that God is trustworthy. God is faithful. The psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? He answers his own question by saying, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Look what I've underlined there. Who made heaven and earth. Now you go looking for another God who made a heaven and an earth, and you can find another God to trust in. But until you do, there's only one. And he made you. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Sometimes we read these verses and we just go right over them. But if you want to be blessed, trust God. I told somebody one time, I have to trust God. I don't have any other choice. Who else am I going to trust? What else am I going to trust? So if I fall on my face, I'm going to fall on my face trying to trust God. And if I fall on my face... The proverb says, blessed is the man who falls down seven times and then gets back up every time. The issue is not whether you fall down, it's whether you get up. And then Timothy, Paul writes in Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Even if you are faithless, even if you are weak, even if you are exhibiting insecurities, God's still faithful. God's faithfulness does not depend on your faithfulness. God's faithfulness does not depend on whether you trust him or not. He's always faithful. When we, when we don't trust him, we, re, we lose sometimes the ability to receive from him and we get consumed with insecurities and lack of identity. We need a healthy fear of God. If we're going to be secure in him because the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Remember, fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. But let's just shorten that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Begin with the fear of God. Now, I don't mean that God's a mean, fire-breathing monster ready to crush you any moment. I mean a, an awe of God that is awesome. 
that, yeah, you might tremble in his presence. But you tremble because of how awesome he is, not that you're worried about him destroying you. That's a good fear. And, of course, godly fatherhood. It's so important that we have godly fatherhood. You say, well, I don't have a father. Or my father's not a believer. Whatever. Uh, There's this great thing called spiritual fatherhood. There are men. Spiritual motherhood is equally important. There are people who can be your spiritual father or spiritual mother and nurture you along the path. I'll finish with this, and I know we're we're past our normal stopping time, but I told Don when we started we had no cuckoo clocks today. The prodigal I talked about, I've written about, I've spoken about. The prodigal who who strayed is the is the young man who asked for his inheritance and went off and had you know lived a riotous life. Came came back repentant. I've been eating what the pigs eat. I don't think I don't think I'm supposed to be doing that. And if I can just be a servant in your household, Father, that's fine with me. And he said, No, you're not going to be a servant because you're my son. And then the older brother is the guy that I call, and of course I got this from Don Basham, the pro- the prodigal who stayed is the older son. He's still a prodigal, even though he stayed, and he was so insecure. He never saw what he had. As a matter of fact, if you read real carefully, Proverbs 15, now this is a parable, but if you read the way Jesus tells it, the the father gives both sons their inheritance. One of them stayed, but he was so insecure that he got mad when the younger son repented and the father received him back. Of course, Jesus is telling this parable to expose the Pharisees. But the basic theme of that parable is the love of the father. He was so insecure that he got mad and left the party. Saints, we can be secure in who we are. You should be. I pray that you are. And that you would, uh, the bigger, let me just say it this and we'll, we'll finish. The larger you see God in your life, the less you're going to be encumbered by insecurities. Because, because God is greater than anything that you face. Is Don in the room? Oh, <laughs> you can bring the band up. I, was, I looked over there and I saw you get there. And we're just going to give a few moments for an opportunity for you to respond. Because you might need any number of things. You might need just to sing this song and let God deal with your heart. You may need prayer. You may want to come to the altar. But you've heard me say, those of you who've been listening for a long time, have heard me say many times, one of my greatest concerns especially is Christians who are unstable in God, Christians who waver, who are shaken by everything. And up and down, I used to have a friend in high school. Every day at school, he'd come, we'd fellowship. About every few weeks, he'd come in, and he said, Well, Brother Larry, I backslid last night. <clears throat> I did such and such. And then 
A few days later, he'd come in. He said, well, Brother Larry, I got saved again. And this went on. You know, I called him Yo-Yo. But I said, man, I'm not going to name his name. Of course, God, God played a neat trick on him. He called him to preach. I said, man, you, you don't have to be a yo-yo Christian. You don't have to be unstable and in and out and up and down and quit and not quit. You don't have to. You can live firm and stable in him. And that's what I'm saying to you. To whatever degree you deal with this, respond to God today. Respond to the Holy Spirit. So let's stand and join the worship team in singing this song. I was lost and I was blind I was running out of time And sin separated The breach was far too wide And from the far side of the chasm You had me in your sight So you made a way Across the great Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed. Broke my chains, freed my soul. And for the first time, I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. And thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. And brought me from the darkness into glorious Ransomed by our Father through 
Lord Jesus, thank you for having this unknown author write this psalm describing someone whose life is solid, immovable, steady, secure, and in giving us a target. We pray that you'd help each one of us overcome that which would fight our own identity and security in you so that we can rise above that and take our put our hands on the plow to which you have called and assigned us, Lord Jesus. Help us to understand who we are in you, who we are in Christ. Thank you for this time today. Minister to each person that word which you've spoken to each one of us. I pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, God bless you, you're dismissed. Go out there and be somebody. <laughs>